This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Steve Goyami, Editorial Director for Knowledge at Wharton. We're joined today by Wharton Management Professor Maurice Schweitzer and Anna Hart, who is a postdoc here at Wharton and is now a visiting scholar here, and she's also a data scientist at Uber. They're here to talk about a new paper they've written about the potential downsides of negotiation. It's titled, Getting to Less When Negotiating Harms Post-Agreement Performance. Maurice and Anna, thanks for joining us. No, thank you. We don't often connect negotiation with post-agreement performance. We tend to think, you know, we've negotiated, it's a done deal, and now we'll get to work. And the negotiation and the outcome are, are sort of separate in our minds. <clears throat> what led you to consider this connection? Uh, I think that's a great question. The, the premise of our work is that the negotiation process can have some influence after the negotiation. When we negotiate, we're trying to think about, and I think what's interesting about negotiations, we have some interests that are consonant, that are similar, congruent, and we have some interests that are really opposed to each other. So as we negotiate, we're trying to find common ground, and we're trying to bridge differences. What's interesting about the negotiation process is that through that process, we might end up magnifying or really focusing attention on some of those differences. And if we end up with the perception that our interests are really in conflict to each other, that can spill over into post-negotiation performance. So if you think about the modern economy, here in the United States, about 80% of the economy is services. And what that means is that we might negotiate the price of something. We might negotiate, say, a salary. And then after we negotiate, we need to work together. And as we're working together with that house painter or the babysitter uh, or the caterer, we need the, the negotiation process to have either sort of helped or not harmed our relationship so we can collaborate effectively. And so the whole thesis of our work is that basically if the negotiations don't go as well as they might, or we entered negotiations perhaps when we shouldn't have, we could end up harming that relationship and ultimately harming what happens next, that this sort of post-agreement performance. In your paper, you discuss how there's an assumption that the economic value of an agreement is equal to the terms of the negotiation. When is that not true? Anif? So, as we just mentioned, in a lot of cases of services and work and employment, which are a lot of the kind of quintessential negotiation examples or situations, right? We negotiate over job offers, over raises, over who does what goal. Um, in a lot of these cases, the negotiation is only the beginning or potentially the middle of a relationship or interaction. And we're meeting these people and having to interact with these people again and again after the negotiation process. And it's not that when we leave the table, everyone forgets what's happened. Right? So we remember the price we reached or some agreement we reached, but we also probably remember how we reached that and have specific perceptions of our counterparts. Um, and so these relationships, again, as we mentioned, can have long-term implications beyond just the negotiation table. 
Um, and so, again, it's mostly the case for services employment, potentially less the case if you negotiate over the price of a sofa on Craigslist. But even in those cases, a lot of people can decide when do they ship the sofa, how do they do it, and do they add anything else. And so I feel like in most cases, the economic value of the negotiated agreement, or sorry, of the negotiation process is not limited to the agreement. So, again, you can imagine reaching a great price, but then getting, you know, bad service. And that's not a great deal, is it? Right. I think that's exactly right. That is, you know, here we're, we're sort of thinking about, and I think this is the way a lot of negotiation research has been done and the negotiation books that have been written really focus on everything that happens up until you reach an agreement. And what our work is really focused on is, hey, what happens next? And in so many cases where somebody is now going to deliver a service, that relationship really matters. So there might be a really great reason why you don't negotiate really hard with your babysitter. You're really worried about creating conflict in a way that might breed resentment and ultimately uh, leave you worse off. Right. So there's there's lots of strategies we use when we negotiate. Someone might say to you, oh, you need to be aggressive, for example. So what are what are some typical strategies that people use uh, or, or that might that they might rely on for negotiation that, that, that doesn't take this effect that you're describing into account um, that could even backfire? Yeah. So what's interesting is if you look at many of the negotiation books out there, their books, they're titled things like Getting More. And I think so much of the classic negotiation, both literature and sort of uh, zeitgeist, is about being more assertive, being tougher, and you know, sort of the, the sort of certain political, current political atmospheres, you know, winning a negotiation, mm-hmm. getting and to yes, getting to yes. Uh, well, getting to yes has some collaborative sort of elements, but but I think so much of the the sort of the the sense out there is that we can somehow you know, win or, you know, sort of claim more uh, of the of the pie. And, and there are indeed many negotiation strategies like this. So being assertive, starting high, conceding slowly, expressing some anger. There are many things that we can do that are very assertive. And that, you know, many of those things do indeed yield better negotiation outcomes. So if you start with a high anchor and you concede slowly, uh, you use aggressive tactics, you express some anger, people end up achieving higher negotiated settlements. But what we're, we're finding, and I think the sort of the central thesis is that sometimes by being more assertive, by being more aggressive, uh, we might indeed end up with a better negotiated outcome. So you can sort of you know think about negotiating with a house painter or a caterer or that babysitter. Yeah, you might end up with a better price, but ultimately through that process, you might have created conflict that causes you to end up with worse value. And I think another added thing to that is that when we think about negotiation strategies, we kind of tend to think, oh, we're going to negotiate anyway. Now let's see how we navigate that situation. But there are many cases where we might be better off even not starting this process and not kind of decided to embark on this process that may end up creating conflict. And there's a reason there's a lot of negotiation advice in books, and a lot of them kind of have this 
unqualified advice, oh, you should always lean in and negotiate what's the harm in asking. And in some cases, there could be harm in asking, again, if you look beyond getting more in the immediate agreement. So turning more to the specifics of the paper, what, what were your main hypotheses going into this study? Maurice. Yeah, for us, we were thinking about um, you know, two things. One is, uh, should we enter negotiations or not? And one idea is that we were thinking sometimes just the mere act of joining a negotiation, sort of entering a negotiation, can actually highlight the conflict that we have. So in some cases, and this is counter to the advice you're going to read in most of the negotiation books out there, sometimes it's actually really much better not to enter a negotiation. The second idea is to think about how the negotiation process might itself highlight conflict or alternatively, it might build rapport. That is, it could be that through the negotiation process, we identify underlying common interests, we figure out ways for us both to do better, we end up building collaboration, perhaps because we end up engaging in small talk or we take each other to dinner or go to a sporting events sort of through that negotiation process. And so I think what's, what's, what's really important is that I think we, we used to, or we sort of you know, did understand that building rapport helps us with the negotiation, but I think our work really underscores how important that building rapport is for post-agreement behavior and that it's not, you know, the, the relationship doesn't end when we've just reached an agreement. So, so how did you go about studying this? Anif, could you, could you walk us through a couple of the experiments that you did just to, to help us understand how you went about looking at this problem? Of course. So in many of our studies, uh, and well, studies in this paper, uh, the participants who could be uh, lab participants or people on MTRF were assigned to be workers, and they were matched with employers. Um, and the employers essentially had a budget through which they paid the worker for their performance on an effortful task. So, for example, counting letters in the experiment. Um, and the employer gains from the worker's performance. So the more work the participant does, the more the employer gets paid. Um, and the worker themselves don't get any benefit from work. So essentially how much they work depends on how motivated they are to do it and how much they want to increase the employer's payment. So going back to these examples, you can think of a housekeeper or a babysitter, for example, who gets a specified wage and can decide how much to, say, work or say, play with the kids and how much to sit around. And the more attentive and you know, the more productive they are, the better off you are, but they don't gain anything from effort. So we had participants, the workers, either negotiate their wage with the employer or tell them that the employer would basically give them a non-negotiable wage. So, participants, again, either negotiate or not negotiate for their wage, and then they do a work task that creates value for the employer after the negotiation. And we kept the wage constant um, or consistent across the conditions so we could look at how the negotiation process itself affects performance after it ends. Does that make sense? And so you did about you did about six of these experiments, right? With yeah, a number so of people. Six, yeah, so six of these I means so the papers from one supplementary. Uh, we had about a hundred or sorry, twelve hundred uh, participants wow. in the paper. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun ride. 
<laughs> and so what would you say your, your key findings were or key takeaways from all these experiments? So as the newspaper title hints to, um, we found that negotiators, so workers who discuss the wage with the employer and things like that and forth, uh, did substantially less work after the chat uh, in this, say, counting letter task. They did substantially less compared to workers who just received a non-negotiable wage. Uh, so for the same amount of money that's going to be in your pocket, um, the negotiators performed worse and produced less value after the negotiation. So while employers essentially paid the same, they got less back when they negotiated versus not. Um, and so consistent with the conflict hypothesis, we saw that negotiators versus non-negotiators thought of their counterpart, the employer, as kind of more of a competitor and kind of thought more of the conflicting interests. Um, and some kind of as more at odds with one another. And these perceptions of conflict accounted for much of the different performance of negotiators versus non-negotiators. So to kind of take all together, the negotiation process can, in many cases, highlight the conflicting interests, which then lead to worse subsequent post-agreement performance. So, so then how does this study change our understanding of the negotiation process? How, what do people need to consider when they're entering a negotiation, Maurice? Yeah, the key idea here is that we can't assume that when we negotiate, that negotiation process ends with an agreement, and then we sort of start fresh right after that. Rather, the negotiation process is really part of a broader relationship that we have. And so what that means is that we should think about whether or not to enter a negotiation carefully. So if our babysitter or the construction worker or the housekeeper proposes a wage, I think we should think about, hey, do we want to negotiate that or not, mindful of what this might do for a broader rapport. And when we do negotiate, to think about how important it is to manage that relationship and to make sure that it doesn't highlight conflict, but instead helps us build a relationship so that the post-agreement behavior is really something that we can be happy with and that's going to be more more constructive. And if do you have anything to add to that? So basically, if you so again, when you kind of think of negotiation, a lot of times you think, oh, let's negotiate to get more. What we're showing is by actually getting less or paying more initially, you can actually get more. In the long term, in long term value, essentially, by building this relationship and not damaging it by essentially trying to get more of the pie now. Or, or as you both said, maybe not even entering into the negotiation at all as, yeah, a, as right. an option, which is one that we don't often think about. Yeah, that's right. That's, I mean, it's, it's certainly not something that 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 most of the advice, of, that, that most of the negotiation scholars out there, have not given advice. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, maybe there are lots of cases where we should not even negotiate. Is there any other, any other things that people could keep in mind to help to mitigate the harmful effects of negotiation? And I, I think I think one of the broad implications of our work is that we should really be mindful of the kind of relationships that we're cultivating. And at the heart of negotiations, there's the idea that we have some conflicting interests and some congruent interests. And and what we found throughout our studies is that perceptions of conflict 
were really harmful to post-negotiation performance. And so one of the key ideas that I think we need to keep in mind is how we manage this process of interacting with other people so that we don't highlight the points of conflict, but instead really highlight the points of commonality so that we, we think of our collaborators as people who are sort of friends working together with us um, and to be mindful of how negotiations sometimes can really highlight the conflicts and the differences rather than our commonalities and similarities. Right. So, so what questions does the study raise that could be looked at in future studies? Well, I think, uh, f- first of all, um, the idea of studying post-negotiation behavior is really important. And if we look at most of the existing research and negotiations, the dominant paradigms um, basically end with a negotiated agreement sheet. Uh, so we sort of either reach an impasse or a deal. And in the vast majority of negotiations, that's exactly where the experiment ends. I think rather we need to think about a much broader lens and sort of look at what happens after the negotiation. And and sort of related to that, to think about the distinctions between services and goods, where goods represent a really small portion of our economy, but they've really represented most of how negotiations have been studied. The, the next, I think, much, much broader idea is to think about how perceptions of conflict and cooperation guide our interactions far more broadly, and how the interactions that we have shape this sense of whether or not we're collaborating or competing, and how we navigate those broader relationships. And of anything to add? And I think so, to Ben Reese's comments about services and goods, I think in thinking about whether we want or when we want to negotiate and how, we really need to think more about the context and how much of our relationship or interaction we do have or want to have or could have with our negotiation counterpart. And if we're being, even if we're being very self-interested, we need to take that relationship into account. Um, and so kind of thinking about what context, or sorry, how do we navigate negotiations and negotiate relationships uh, in different contexts, I think is a super interesting question. Um, and another question is, when do we enter negotiations and how should organizations even structure a lot of these job negotiation processes and hiring processes to and build relationships and enhance productivity in the longer term to kind of reduce these conflicts or potential conflicts that may happen between employers and employees or between employees um, and generally in the workplace. Great. Well, Anev and Maurice, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And if you, uh, if you like what you heard, you can find more content like this on knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu, and you can find us on your favorite podcast platform as well. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.